Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Well, hello, everyone, and you join us here today to talk a little bit about diving. Now, Tom, you've got a dive watch and I've got a dive watch. I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever actually got mine wet. Have you? Me neither. Maybe a bit of splashback when I was washing up or something. But yeah, (laughs) really putting the 300 metres to the test. Well, that's just as well, because we have a special guest with us here today. uh, Diver, adventurer, nutter extraordinaire, Andy Talbot. And he's going to give us a bit of an idiot's guide on how we can go and do some cave diving. Andy, very, very good to have you here. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, and it will be an idiot's guide, because if I'm giving it... Um, <laughs> that, that's what we're saying, actually. But, well, cave diving is a is a cerebral sport. You know, you don't have to be a, a, an Olympic athlete, um, but it does require a little bit of common sense, I think, rather than, rather than anything, anything too intelligent. Well, hopefully you'll be able to pump us full of common sense today, because I think between Tom and I, we probably don't have a huge amount of it when it comes to outdoor activities. But for our viewers and listeners who may be interested in putting their dive watch to the test, this is a really cool and fun and local sport that people can take part in. So I think first of all, what I'd like to do, Andy, is um, understand from you a bit more about who you are and what you do and why you're here talking to us about cave diving. Uh, so um, I spent quite a lot of time in the forces and then when I left the forces I got into kind of expeditions and exploration projects and uh, the main thing that I do, I do uh, climbing and skydiving and, and a lot of stunt work, the main thing I do is, is underwater stuff so some free diving but it's mostly the technical stuff so it's cave diving and very deep diving using mixed gases, I think called a rebreather which isn't like scuba gear, it, it basically recycles what your your breath. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the same technology that astronauts use. And, and that means you can stay down longer, you know, and go much further and go much deeper. Um, and I, I use that primarily to explore, uh, you know, trying to find lost shipwrecks, to try and explore um, unmapped underwater uh, cave systems or even lost lost flooded mine systems i think the reason i'm on this podcast specifically is because um i well not actually that recently but um so towards the end of last year uh, got involved uh, as an ambassador for for panerai awesome i hope that's working out very well for you and uh, tom this is probably your your opportunity to ask about treasure <laughs> well it's yeah i mean one of the things that i wanted to ask you is i mean you mentioned how it's kind of a cerebral 
activity and also you know there's a certain amount of courage that you need to have in order to sort of plunge the unknown but i wondered how much the exploration how much of the the opportunity of discovery how much of that motivates you in, in what you do does anything ever creep into your mind like there could be something of real importance or you know um there could be some magic down here how, how much does that motivate you to sort of overcome the, the dangers uh that's almost the entirety of it that's all point i mean that's what you want to find yeah. out i think i think it's human nature that that we've been driven with this curiosity that we want to find out what's around the next corner or what's over the next hill sure you know what's around the next bend or what's out you know, in in the darkness, because often even in the open sea, you know, it might be very light. If you look straight down, it's like 120 meters to the bottom. You can't see the bottom; it just disappears into the gloom. You want to you want to know what what that sort of that that darkness is a, is a question mark, and you never really know what you're going to find. I mean, you can you can you can, you can hope, um, and a lot of time in exploration, inevitably it's maybe not as spectacular as you'd like, but that's because once in a while you find, you know, an absolute gem. And it's exciting stuff, like the, just the thrill of, of being somewhere that that where no human being has ever been before. Um, or, or dropping on, I mean, we, we found a shipwreck in the, uh, the English Channel, we found it on a, on a sort of side-scan sonar, so we, we knew there was something there, we couldn't really make out what it was. Uh, it turned out to be a, a World War II uh, merchant ship, but, but, you know, we got in the water, it's about 70 metres deep in the English Channel, and as you're as you're in free fall down through the water column into the darkness, you know it's literally like just starting to tease off that first little bit of paper from the from the Christmas present and Christmas day. You're like, there's definitely something there. It could be, yeah, it, it could be a little ice iso containers, but it could be a Spanish galleon laden with gold. You know, it could be the Goonies, but um, you um, you know that, you, you never know that sort of mystery. Oh right, that's interesting because I thought, yeah, I thought it, you would push that sort of stuff to the back of your bike because you'd be like no 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 no, it's just going to be an empty cave or it's just going to be you know a run-of-the-mill merchant navy wreck or something but i like i like that the idea that it's always just like yeah no come on oh that's what you want you know and you know most of them we're doing cave diving stuff yeah you find a little bit more tunnel that looked very similar to the bit of tunnel before but sometimes you can find these spectacular <laughs> passages that that um you know are full of stalactites and look amazing or or um these huge chambers these massive cathedral-like chambers and, and as well as that you know my, my background originally was was um sort of academically was in zoology so you know you, you're always looking to potentially find new species as well i mean it's going to be it's going to be small stuff but um in these sort of places but you you never know what you're going to find um i mean i've been two kilometers into a cave system and then there was a fish just swimming around i found frogs actually in the caves like miles from the surface you're like, how the hell did you get in here <laughs> um, they were probably thinking the same thing yeah and, and even from an archaeological point of view even even i actually over lockdown i did a i did a master's in archaeology and i did my dissertation on cave diving and archaeology and the p- potential applications for um for in the uk and there's been incidents where uh, one particular one where a guy's load of guys were cave diving and they surfaced inside this dry cave that was only reachable by cave diving you had to be able to you know this sort of uh, dry part and it was full of human skulls. <gasps> oh, goodness. How cool is that? And what happened was, there was actually a chimney, like, we, 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 if you imagine that, a natural chimney leading from this dry chamber to the surface. And back, I think, in like oh, the Paleolithic time or Mesolithic time, people used to basically bury people. And then 
over the thousands of years, that sort of that tunnel, that chimney had collapsed uh, and then got full of dirt and completely sealed over. So from the surface, you wouldn't know it was there. Um, yeah, and these guys surfaced in this, you know, this, this chamber of, of, of bones. And there was obviously there was, there was canine bones in there too. They think there might be like sacrifices or, or ornamentation. There was, you know, wolf teeth and that sort of stuff. But yeah, um, you know, you, you never know what you're going to find. Wow. So cave diving, it, like, it sounds absolutely fascinating. Uh, about my experience of diving probably extends to sitting on a beach and seeing some people plop off the side of a boat to explore a couple of metres underneath. Cave diving sounds like a very, very different proposition. How do you begin to prepare yourself for cave diving? So it's an accumulation, really, of, of years, months, weeks, days and hours and minutes. Uh, you, you know, depending on the nature of the cave dive, because the, even within cave diving, there's some pretty easy ones and there's some pretty hardcore serious ones. Clearly, you, you spend years accruing the sort of skills and experience uh, to be able to do that. And with, and with the gaining of that skill and that experience, you build a sort of mental fortitude uh, against the conditions you're going to face. Long hours and hours underwater, being many kilometres uh, from the nearest exit, that sort of, that sort of psychological pressures. Because there's no doubt that you know being underwater, sometimes on your own in the dark and the cold underground, is probably one of the most psychologically oppressive places you can be. Um, and then, often the days leading up to it, you're checking your equipment because you are. Frankly, you're wholly reliant on, on the technology you're carrying with you. If that if that fails, then you're in real trouble, which is why we all carry. And, you, and you're planning. And actually, this is where paranoia counts. When I'm sitting planning, I, I think of all the things that can possibly go wrong. And I go, right, how can I either stop them from happening? Or if I can't do that, I'm going to assume those things are going to happen. I'm going ha- to have a plan B, C, D, E, F in my back pocket ready to go. So my rebreather that I spoke about, my primary source of, sort of breathing gas... That's never failed on me, never once, but I assume it's going to fail on me every time I get in the water and I carry redundant bailout systems for that. So for the the person just getting started with it, what do you think are the core things they need to, to do before they even consider going into a cave? So obviously you need to learn to scuba dive first, the basis of diving, um, maybe do some night dives, that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, so, so people penetrate inside wrecks, I mean, and that's a sort of mini metal cave. And then from a, a, an instructional point of view, you can do, you, you sort of, you, you take a series of graduated steps. The cavern diver course is where you go into a, a, an underwater cave, but you never go in so far that you lose sight of the entrance. So you can always mm-hmm. see what they call the, the blue window. You can always see the light. And then you penetrate further and further, and then you start using things like um, rebreathers, things like uh, DPVs, uh, diver propulsion vehicles, basically scooters. If you imagine a torpedo that you can have hang on to and yeah. it pulls you through the water. Because that way you can cover many, many kilometers. Um, and then, you, you know, obviously dealing with thermal issues because even in relatively warm water, if you're underwater for six, seven, eight hours, you, you start getting cold. Um, all the way to what we are doing recently, what we're doing in the future, which is actually camping underground, sort of underwater. So the last dive we did was a six hour dive. Um, carrying a mountain of equipment all clipped to us including a, a big specially made dry tube metal dry tube and in that dry tube was a sleeping bag and a mat and some food and that stuff and then we were actually surfaced in this dry chamber you know many many kilometers from from the surface camped overnight and then changed our gear around carried on diving and then you know and dived out so you, you know you end up spending um two, three, four days kind of underwater stroke underground. I'm glad you clarified the surfacing part because I was picturing you 
pitching a tent underwater and just sort of getting into a wet sleeping bag and the whole thing being submerged, which is obviously well, nonsense. You, we, although you, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a small scale, you can. We've, we've done stuff, um, we've actually done it at Wookie Home, myself and my friend, friend Chris, where we set up a, a decompression habitat. So we, we took through the cave diving and lots of dry chambers, which are real pain because it's, it's, it's heavy. You can get it weightless underwater, but if it's a, if it's a dry cave, you've got you to carry it through. And then we build this imagine a, a giant upside down shopping bag but you know a bag for life imagine, yeah. a, imagine, imagine a bag for life that's a meter wide and two meters long right yeah. so um one of them upside down and uh, we just we we secured it to the to the rocks at the seat at the bed then filled it full of full of air full of gas really um which means if you've got two or three hours of decompression um you can get inside that which means you can get out of the water You've got to stay in your breathing gas, but you can take your mask off, you can drink, you can eat, and obviously it's a lot warmer. Even though the the, the, the air temperature within within that bag is the same as the water temperature, because water transfers heat 25 times better than air, it makes it effectively effectively warmer inside the, the, the decompression habitat. Wow. I'll say now that that whole scenario is filling me full of paranoia already. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so you touched upon some of the equipment that you bring with you. What does someone just getting started need to really consider purchasing to take with them for something like this? So uh, it depends how you're doing it, but your basic the first thing you need you need to be able to breathe. That's pretty essential. Uh, yep. Whether that's scuba equipment or whether it's uh, a rebreather, um, you need a bailout breathing system. So either more scuba gear or another rebreather, because. Um, you know, as I say, pa- paranoia keeps you alive. You, you'll need a mask because you want to see. You usually carry a spare mask uh, because, as I say, paranoia keeps you alive. Uh, we usually wear helmets. Um, we carry torches because, again, you need to be able to see where you're going. It's very, very dark under there. Uh, and if you need one, you'll need two. If you need two, you need three. So we never go cave diving without less than three torches. Mm-hmm. Uh, we carry line. Especially if we're exploring Macari Line, um, effectively it's the sort of Ariadne's thread. That's you, you, you. That's how you find your way back out. Um, right. But because you've got line, it's very easy to get entangled underwater. Um, so we carry various cutters. I always carry at least three sort of knives or cutters on me if I need to cut myself free from that line. You need some sort of thermal protection, be it a wetsuit or a, or a dry suit if it's really cold. Um, and then you need your sort of computer systems you, you need a way to know what depth you're at how long you've been underwater uh, and if you're using a rebreather then you need a, a sort of electronic handset to, to run that rebreather um, so you know I I always carry uh, at least one or two computers and a watch with me whenever I whenever I go diving so you mentioned the watch there obviously hmm. very topical <laughs> yeah. um, there's a it's a bit of a bone of contention within the community and probably spoken about more by people who have um, never even set their toe in the water than otherwise but some people would say that a mechanical watch is outdated um, and a wristwatch is outdated and everything can be done with a dive computer you go with both and I believe you've done so even before your relationship with Panerai what's the benefit? So I mean the dive computers are great but the sort of things that I do especially in very cold water are very very long they're run by batteries so the batteries will eventually run out now it's just fine if you're doing a well, even five, six hour dive, but if you're underground uh, and underwater for three or four days, then mm. you start running the risk of needing to charge that. Now, that's fine because you, if you only use it when you're diving, it's not as bad. So that tends to be what I do is, is that I um, I can switch. So I can use my dive computers to dive in 
um, with my watch actually, because I like I like to know what time it is. Because a dive computer will tend to just give you a reference point, like how long you've been underwater, the the dive time effectively. But I like to know when I surface. Okay, right, it's at five o'clock, six o'clock, because I like to know try and keep a grasp on my biological clock because it's very easy when you're in the darkness for, for two, three, four days to start losing a little bit of, of, of grasp on when you should be sleeping and when you should be eating. And then in camp, um, I've, I, I've got my watch on the whole time so, you know, I, I, again, I can, I can kind of still operate sensibly. If I wake up at two in the morning, I know it's two in the morning, so I go back to sleep. If I wake up at six in the morning, then I get up. But you know, you're you trying to maintain those sort of natural rhythms as much as possible. And essentially, it doesn't run out of battery, ever. Mm. So if I've learned anything so far, paranoia, carry 10 of everything. <laughs> a mechanical watch is a really good opportunity to make sure you've got something that continues functioning. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't uh, require any external uh, And even with our rebreathers, um, some rebreathers are fully electric, but... The ones that I tend to use, and the friends that I dive with tend to use, there's the option. You can run them electrically, but you can actually run them mechanically as well. So even if you get battery failures or things run out, you can still you can still breathe effectively. And scuba gear, again, as a bailout option is great because it's purely mechanical. So it doesn't matter how long it's been un- underwater or underground, doesn't matter how long it's been operating, doesn't matter how, how cold it is, um, it's not going to run out of batteries. So um, we've had some of the preparation talk for what you do before you go to the cave. You've mentioned uh, we a lot, talking about teams of people. You're at the cave. Who are you with? Do you need to be with them? And what are the things that you do to prepare yourself for the, the literal entrance of that cave? Well, depends on the nature of, of, of the project. But more often than not these days, um, we we effectively dive solo. Like recently we went to France, there's two of us there. But we are carrying enough equipment to look after ourselves because... Um, you know, in the darkness, if it's if it's low visibility, if the visibility gets churned up, which is very easy to happen, it becomes nil a nil visibility environment. Then your body's not going to be much used to you, so you need to basically dive independently. And I prefer that anyway because I, I don't want to to give the responsibility for my safety to anyone else. Uh, and you know, and I don't feel that they they need to carry that extra burden that they have to look after me as well. So um, we tend to even dive when we dive as a team, dive as um, there are some things that we do just logistically. So last time we had a, we had a scooter, a, a DPV, these, these sort of torpedo things, one each, and then we carried a spare one between us um, because sometimes you have, you know, you, you don't want to be carrying three, four, five, six, seven, eight spares. Otherwise, it becomes the point where you just physically can't drag the stuff through the water. Um, so usually before a dive, we sort of go in our own little our own zones. We sort our own kit out. We test our own kit to make sure it's all working properly even though we would have been tested the day before, but physically you you then get in the water, often the hardest bit, believe it or not, because you get in there, dry suit on, rebreather, and then you clip all the stuff to you. And last time I had five big scuba bottles to clip to me. I had a scooter and I had a dry tube. That can take quite a bit of time and effort. So by this point, usually you're sweating and breathing hard. So then I'll put the rebreather uh, in my mouth and I'll just start relaxing uh, on the surface, just sort of basically floating in the water, and breathing, get my heart rate down, get my breathing rate down, and and making sure the rebreather itself is is working. Uh, looking at my gas mixes, um, so that you know I'm I'm fairly relaxed before I start the cave dive because there's no point starting it out of breath and sweating and all sort of you know sort of not not as so much panicking but just just having having just worked hard still trying to catch your breath. Yeah, like an acclimatization period. 
effectively. Yeah. And it's a lot of things to make sure, you know, you can reach all your all your bits and pieces with your gloves on, your big dry suit, make sure that works. You don't want to be halfway through the cave and go, oh, I, I clipped that thing in the wrong place and now I can't reach it. So you do all those checks at the surface. So you're in the water. Um, that's, <laughs> that, is, that is literally the beginning. You are going to go down, you're going to go across, you're going to go into a cave. Um, you shared some footage with me, which people will be able to see as we're talking. And one word struck me uh, immediately with all of this. Disorientating. It looks so disorientating. How do you go deeper and longer into a cave uh, and, and, and keep your wits about you, keep yourself doing what you need to do? Yeah, it can be. I mean, first thing is you've... you've um you lay a line as I said um, so that's your that's your sort of first point of orientation um, I mean if you dive a lot even in nil vis you kind of get a feeling for which way up is because gravity still works in the water um, you know if you, if you breathe out your bubbles still go up um, but it can definitely be disorientating if there's nil vis so you, you, you can drop to the floor uh, or find a wall, put your hand on the wall, put your hand on the floor. But once you get that, that point of contact, that tells you if you are moving up, down, right or left, because your hand is physically touching something. So that's often what we'll do. But once you're in the cave and, and you are, if you can see if the visibility is good, then then it's just like flying. You know, it's no different to that. You are zooming along and, and actually it's probably easier to orientate yourself than it would be if you are, say, flying an aircraft. Because you're flying an aircraft, you've only got effectively a reference point but beneath you if everything else is blue, whereas in a, in, a, in a cave, in a tunnel, I've got sort of hard reference point, a physical environment, you know, 360 degrees. Um, and I, I find that that, that first part is, is lovely because having humped all this, this heavy dive kit down to the dive site and then got it all on my back and get it all clipped up to me, it's all just, as soon as you leave the surface and you become weightless and everything just starts to sort of, is it, this clip to you becomes weightless it's a lot less effort to dive than it is to get ready for a dive to be honest it sounds like and from my own feelings of what you're talking about and how i'm mentally reacting that um as much as the physical stamina which sounds like it's not too much of an issue the mental stamina is a really big part to play in cave diving especially for a longer trip how do you condition yourself and how do you look after yourself when you're doing a dive when you're in a situation that could be filled with, as you keep mentioning, paranoia. Yeah, I I think the the paranoia and fear can very much be curbed by um, the preparation. Uh, the, the old motto of the army uh, parachute school was knowledge dispels fear. You know, if you actually understand how parachute works, the parachute systems and all that stuff, and we spent about a week in realising the statistics and actually how safe these things are, when you finally come to jump out of the plane, it won't be as scary. So much like cave diving, if you understand what you're doing and how things work, then you don't... You don't in fact, for, frankly, if you're starting a cave dive scared, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Simple as that. Um, that said, there is a there is a level of kind of as I said, psychological oppressiveness. There's a, there's, a, there's a level of psychological pressure on you when you are underground for hours and hours, or underwater for hours and hours in a cave. And I think the trick really is to is to do the job that's in front of you and not let your mind spiral to the bigger picture. I was asked once after a talk that someone said, oh, how do you cope with the idea that you are, you know, three hours swim from the nearest exit and you're 100 metres deep and you're there's 300 meters of rock above your head and you're on your own i'm like well, well i don't 
I don't think I don't allow myself to think about that. I just do the job in front of me. You know, you just swim the next meter. Don't don't start thinking the the fact the entrance is you know three or four kilometers behind you, because um, I think you start spiraling out of control then. And if you do start to get a little bit um, anxious, you need to check it straight away because it is exponential. That the longer you leave it, the harder it is to rein yourself back in. And how, how would you do that? How would you do that? Is it some bit of Zen breathing? Yeah, I'd, well, I'd like to say that, yeah, it's Zen breathing, but the reality of it is it's just usually me giving myself a stern talking to. I think it's like <laughs> that ex, ex squad, you know. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be in, I'll, I've had an instant once where I, I got a little bit lost um, and I was trying to find this, this, this exit. And I'm like, okay, this isn't good. This isn't good, right? And you start to go, okay, and then we'll walk, stop. Just, and actually, I did stop. I just hung in the water, stopped, stopped um, swimming. I was like, right, what's the reality of the situation? Yes, I'm lost. Okay, however, I've already found um, a, a little dry chamber, um, a tiny one, but big enough for me to get out, which meant I could I could change my, my rebreather around to what I needed to get back out. Um, I thought, okay, so I'm, I'm, first thing is, I'm not going to die. This is bad, but I'm not going to die. Okay, cool. In that case, you know, calm down get a grip there's a lot of that a lot i think you need to be practical um and certainly for me it's a case to just stop take a breathe think through the situation work out a solution and and then crack on it's it sounds like cave diving could be quite a good uh, training platform for just your whole mental condition for life generally you go down there you're in a situation you have to face it and you have to deal with it yeah the, the, well I, I, i've said before that cave diving is binary uh, you know, climbing or skydiving, you can twist an ankle, break a leg, break your back, be in a coma, die. There's a sort of graduation of how things can go for you. In cave, no, no one gets injured cave diving. Uh, it either goes well and you get out alive, it goes badly, but you do something about it and you get out alive, or it goes badly and you don't do enough about it uh, and you don't get out alive, frankly. Do you find, um, to, <laughs> to move away from perhaps a slightly good topic. <laughs> <laughs> that said, it's an incredibly safe thing to do a weekend. It is, it is incredibly safe. It's like driving, you know, or crossing yeah. the road. Is crossing the road dangerous? Well, for a two-year-old, yeah, it is. But for an adult who's got any common sense, no, it's not. So it's not cave diving. Cave diving isn't dangerous safe. It's how we do it that makes it dangerous or safe. Yeah, right. And it, it sounds like from what you're saying, the more preparation you do, the more redundancy you have the less chance there is of that danger ever occurring. Correct. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much. Um, this is this has been uh, an idiot's guide to cave diving, as told by uh, a fantastic and very entertaining expert. Thank you so much, Andy. I would love to have you on again to talk in more detail about this stuff. It seems like we've barely touched the surface. So, dear viewer and listener, if you would like to see more of this uh, this kind of stuff, the exploration, the use of watches, where they're supposed to be used, do let us know in the comments below. Thank you so much, Andy, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, brilliant. Truly fascinating. Thank you. And um, yeah, we hope to see you again with us very soon. Enjoy your next trip, and we'll speak to you. Uh, we'll speak to you after then. Bye bye. Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 